0: Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is Episode 6. In this episode, I'm talking to Damon Morris, co-founder of Card Kingdom, Café Mox, and Mox Boarding House. Damon cares deeply about creating a space where people can come together and play the games they enjoy. Card Kingdom is the retail and online store located in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Washington. Attached to it is Café Mox, the French café-inspired space where gamers can cozy up to a booth for hours. Mock's Boarding House is the newest addition on the east side in Bellevue, Washington, where the expansive Tournament Room and Art Deco-themed cafe feature huge tables for board games and beers. Damon also shares what Magic the Gathering means to him, and how he's trying to foster an inclusive community for all. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Kitchen Table Magic with Damon Morris. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I am sitting here right now with Damon Morris. Hi, I'm Damon Morris. I am the owner of Card Kingdom and Cafe Mox and Mox Boarding House. We're sitting here in Ballard, which is outside of Seattle, and we are at Card Kingdom, and we're inside Cafe Mox in the Red Room. Yeah. It's very red and it's really beautiful in here. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's really nice
1: to be in here. This is uh, the primary reason we started this was to have spaces like this for people to play games. We found that it was very difficult for a lot of our community to have a welcoming environment or a place outside of their own home that they could get together with their friends. The red room and the green room, our private rooms here, were definitely created with the vision of having your friends get together in a very comfortable space that felt like home but wasn't
0: home. I love it. Everything here is really well designed. There's so many little design elements. There's art everywhere. How would you describe the interior design? Oh, uh,
1: it's kind of a mix. We we had three different concepts for the store. One was very raw with a lot of wood, very natural, just, you know, kind of an old-style retail store we had another design that was much more a French cafe. Um, I was very attached to this photograph I'd been carrying around for years that showed the interior of a French cafe. And I'd been, you know, just had it in a notebook probably five or six years. And I had no idea why I even had this picture, but it just really spoke to me. At one point in time, I finally came up with the idea of bridging the gap between the cafe and the retail store. And that picture you know, came to the forefront. And if you look at that, you can see similarities with, the, with Cafe Mox. The third concept we had was much more of a, uh, I guess, more of a classic gamer vibe, which
0: our rooms with the role-playing games and the card rooms and the, the tournament room followed that. Yeah, I see a lot of ornateness, a lot of richness. You feel like you're in a, I guess, storybook, fantasy characteristic. You feel like you're in a mansion. You feel like you're in like the study or it's very moody. There's a lot of like emotion in it. You're using materials like velvet and you're using like these big, bold stripes and you're using like elaborately framed artwork. There's metals and woods and it's just got a lot of feeling in the entire space.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we really tried to create these very small details that people wouldn't necessarily notice. You would get the vibe of the place, but not necessarily, you know, key in on them. And to the point where we had one of our regulars, probably three years after we opened, was sitting in the puzzle room, um, which no longer exists. We added some more seating because we needed more seating for the cafe. But there were puzzles on the ceiling she looked up and was like, when did you put those puzzles in? And it was like, they'd always been there. And we like to have these
0: small details, these new experiences, these, and we try to add things as we can. In Bellevue on the east side, Mock's boarding house, when you guys opened that place up, everyone was so excited to rush in and see it. I mean, there was definitely like turn of the century, kind of gilded age, like, gosh, how would you characterize it? these really beautiful lamps? Inside of the main cafe, you're, there's these Big communal tables. And I remember sitting there and I looked up and I saw all these amazing pillars of light coming down from the ceiling, all at different angles. And I like Instagrammed it and it was like so cool. It looks, it was very art deco, you would say, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: The theme behind it is definitely art deco.
0: Yes. And it just felt. It just felt very rich, and it just felt very luxurious, and it felt very special to be there. And you guys also have some very interesting lamps. You guys have unhinged full art lands as the landalier. <laughs> Can you explain that? Um, yeah,
1: well, we did the same thing here. Uh, it was We had seen – actually, it came from a photograph that we had seen. It was in a clothing store, which doesn't exactly make sense, but it was a lamp made from old pieces of sheet music, and they had – hung them up, built this elaborate frame and hung the sheet music from it. We thought it was just a really beautiful look. So we stole that idea and instead of sheet music, you know, got a grommet machine and we're putting holes in, it was collector's edition land cards um, for the one here in Ballard. And uh, the next door, I, I kind of wanted to up my game a little bit. And so I was <laughs> like, I want to do full art land. and And this was before... You know and Zendikar just wasn't quite good enough for that you know I really mm-hmm. wanted to have an unhinged or an unglued card and you know we laid them out and the unhinged just looked beautiful so it's like I'm gonna go for that and a lot of people were very uncomfortable with it the first time they saw it there was there were some comments where people thought I was butchering the lands and doing a terrible thing with them and you know it's like well yeah I can have them sit in a box or I can put them on display for everybody to enjoy and I still think it's a beautiful light
0: but I there might be a little bit of regret making people feel bad (laughs) about the the little lions. The first time I saw it, I had to do a double take. I was like, first of all, Card Kingdom would never make proxies of them. Like, you know, like you guys love and respect the game and the community. You guys wouldn't make proxies. And I was like, they have to be real. So I kind of took a closer look and I saw the backings on them. And I was like, oh my goodness. I just felt for the, the poor team that had to put holes in like several hundred of them.
1: Well, I feel even worse for the team that had to drill holes in the dice
0: that we have for our light fixtures in the cafe. I don't know if you've yes, seen okay. Of those. This was, okay, Mock's boarding house had been open for a while and I frequent it a lot. Just two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was in the bar and I look up And I go, gosh, they're just so beautiful. And I just thought, I mean, now visualize this for the listeners. They look like, it looks like a crystal chandelier. It looks like something that, I mean, this thing looks like it's $10,000 worth of crystals. Individual, shiny, beautiful, crystal clear. And it's a beautiful, bright light. And it's rectangular. And there's several of them. There's like three or four of them, right? Oh, there's
1: actually the the ones in the center of the space. They're over Um, the bar.
0: They're in the center of the space. They're kind of all over the place. I think it's 11. You have, okay, so you have 11 of them. Yes. And it's then, a big space. With three or four, it wouldn't fill it up. So, yeah. yeah. And then the bartender said, well, you know, they're D20s. And I said, no way. And so I looked closely. They're clear D20s with white painted numbers. We hand drilled every one of them. It actually took us, I'd say it took
1: us about three weeks before we actually got a process to get the first one drilled. It was the most excruciating process ever. We would, uh, you know, you would set it up, you would put a clamp on the die, you know, whatever you would do, you'd start to drill it, and the, the drill bit would break. Then we would finally get it to – we would actually start drilling through the die and got the right size and everything, and the die would start spinning with the drill bit and instantly harden on the drill bit. And then you have to get a sledgehammer and break the die <laughs> off and start all over again. And, you know, it, the first time we got one to work, it was, you know – Finally, we figured out we got one done, and then we had 20,000 to go. And, you know, we eventually came up with a really great solution. It was actually a friend of, you know, one of the people who's helped me on the job. You know, I've got a little video on my phone even that I show to people occasionally that's <laughs> just fascinating. And you would place a die in a mold that we'd made, and there was a clamp that you would – clamp over, hold the die, drill through it. You would have to drill twice, otherwise it would leave residue on it. So you would do two quick drills, pull it out, do the next one. And we got to the point where we could do them in, you know, eight, 10 seconds, which was still, you know, two or three weeks of work for a couple people to get them all drilled. So it was just one of those things that a lot of people thought it was a completely insane, crazy idea. But I think that's what makes the place magical.
0: Right. It is these little details, right?
1: Yeah, and it's it, exactly what you were saying. Is what we're really going for is we don't want people to notice everything at first. You know, if it looked like a bunch of dice hanging from the ceiling, that wouldn't be as cool as somebody thinks, those are chandeliers. Oh, wait, those aren't crystals. And I, I love having a discovery element to the experience. So we started with a very small space. We wanted to make sure it was going to work. And it filled up almost immediately. And we had weights and... And then I felt bad the opposite way. It's like I have customers who can't get in and people are asking for a table. And like, how long is it going to be? And like, people are playing games. I don't know. And people don't like hearing. It could be an hour. It could be three hours. And trying to make everybody happy is very difficult in that situation because – That's one of the things we don't do. We're not going to say, hey, you've been here for two hours. You need to leave. You know, I know your game's not done yet. You know, that's not the experience we're going for. It kind of comes back to the French cafe concept. It's like a French cafe. It's your table until you're
0: done. Mock's boarding house in Bellevue is just a giganto space. Huge vaulted ceilings, big gigantic tournament area with big monitors for pairings and time and mirrors to make the space look even bigger than it already is. We definitely made
1: it larger for the restaurant and the tournament room. Those were the two areas in Ballard that we struggled the most with. Uh, we'd have Friday Night Magic and... 90 people would show up and we could seat 72 and turning people away, especially when they were driving sometimes from Bremerton, you know, they'd come from an hour and a ferry away mm-hmm. and turning those people away was very, felt really bad. So we tried to, we bumped that up from being able to seat, you know, we can seat 54, I think in our tournament room here, plus we can seat another 20 some and in Bellevue, we can seat 102 in the tournament room
0: and an extra 24 in the CCG room. So we up that quite a bit. Yeah, sometimes you guys have legacy and modern going on, or sometimes you have like a pre release draft, standard and modern going on, and it's like 40, 40, 50. I mean, I have to do a double take because I can't even believe how many people are in there. And it's like popping, it's going.
1: Yeah, the the older formats have really taken off, and you know, five years ago, you know, Friday at Magic was huge, and you'd have seventy some people, and the rest of the formats would be you know fifteen, twenty, and the Commander wasn't really a Wizard sanctioned event or format yet, and you know, as those things started being added and supported, those communities really started showing up, mm-hmm. uh, which was really great to have people coming in multiple days of the week to play.
0: Damon, I wanted to go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up and when did you learn how to play Magic?
1: Oh, I grew up in a few places. I was born in Fresno, California, but I spent most of my years growing up in Mason City, Iowa. So I was in college and came home to visit. My first brother, who's actually my business partner with Card Kingdom, were visiting my family. And my youngest brother had started a website and was selling magic cards on eBay. It was eBay was a brand new thing. There was nobody selling magic on there yet, and Tempest had just come out. And he had a little shop in my uncle's antique mall where he had set up a little corner with magic cards. And he was just, you know, selling magic cards. And, you know, this game that I had totally forgotten about. There was one guy on my dorm floor in college who had a box that he was opening up, and it was either Alpha or Beta. It It would have been 93, and I remember it was blackboarded cards. So it was... You know, the first set and I'd never played. That was the only time I'd ever seen the cards. And I came back, you know, around Tempest and he showed me how to play. And I still remember the first game I played. And my brother probably listened to this, so I better be a little bit careful. But I thought he was bending the rules a little bit. He had played, you know, a bird of paradise and some kind of pump spell. And then he was attacking me with a bird of paradise. And he was like, well, I'll block it. And he was like, you can't. It has flying. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) If you're being attacked by a bird, why would you not be able to block that? so your brother taught you how to play magic. Yeah, my youngest brother taught me how to play magic. And then um, I didn't play again for a long time. I went back to college. I finished college. I graduated. I worked as a chemist. I worked as an engineer. Uh, My brother, John, who is my business partner now, was also working as an engineer. And he bought the business from my youngest brother. He um, was very tired of doing engineering as a job. So he He was into coding. He was an electrical engineer, and he started building a website and spent all of his free time doing that. He was living in Minneapolis at the time, and I was out here in Seattle. Then he decided he wanted to move out to the West Coast as well, and he came out and he ran the business out of my basement, and you know, we still didn't really play much magic. Um, He was just learning how to code and learning how to sell things and run an online business, and I would help him out here and there. I quit my job because he was getting too busy and started helping him with the store. And that's when I actually started playing the game. It's interesting, your, your podcast, Kitchen Table Magic, and that's exactly how I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine that I had worked with played Magic, and we would meet at a bar in Ballard, actually. After work, we'd just come by and play Magic. And it was huge groups. It was always multiplayer. It'd be five or six people playing. And nobody knew the rules very well. And nobody paid attention of timing. And if somebody attacked and somebody hadn't declared, you know, the change in phase, somebody would say, oh, I meant to tap this guy and do this. And so <laughs> it, was, it was very loose. But that's how I learned to play. Yeah, I started to fall in love with the game at that point. It, it was like poker, but there were so many more possibilities and interactions. And it, the complexity of the game really spoke to me.
0: The first time I walked into Card Kingdom near Finney and Green Lake, it was a nice, cozy little game store, and it had little computers in the corner, which is which you could order from like an electronic online catalog, and then they would bring the cards out to you. That was really in like a very early, very nascent stage of the concept. How did that evolve into Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House, the two giants that we see today? I guess
1: first when we were in that stage we we had some challenges to build a community and support our community. We when we did do magic events, we would have to unfold our tables and we shoved them in the corner and nobody could really shop for games because we didn't have much space and you had to, you know, squeeze around to look at board games while people were playing magic. And we could only seat, I think we would get up to 24 people in that store, which was really really stretching it. The store probably should have been 8 people playing magic to be, you know, <laughs> comfortable. And, you know, we were we were a very small retail store. We closed at 7 p.m. We didn't have, you know, people who wanted to play after work didn't really work for them. Basically, the needs of our customers and customers and employees as well. Like, our customers would come after work, go next door and get a 12-pack of beer, come back, lock it up, and then play D&D there. And we allowed people to play D&D after work. That was when I first realized, I think, that there isn't a place for these people to go to play games. They want to go out with their friends in a comfortable environment that's not home because this guy's got pizza boxes all over his place. This person has kids at home. This person's wife doesn't want a bunch of strangers coming into the house. And, you know, it really spoke to me that people need a place to go and play a game that's comfortable and has a cafe community feel to it. So I went over to my brother's house and I talked to him for a half an hour straight about all the things that we would do in the store. And just went on this rant. And uh, as soon as I was done talking, he was like, yeah,
0: I think we should do that.
1: That's when we shifted from dreaming to actually executing
0: and building the space. An older version of Card Kingdom was a game store. The newer version of Card Kingdom, Cafe Mox and Mox Boarding House as we know it, runs a lot of sanctioned events, has a lot of casual events, learn how to play magic events. You, at some point, made a commitment with your organization, with your team, that the tournament organizers, the people running it, would become judges, and that they would be able to judge the events, and that would give a great autonomy and professionalism to the events that you ran.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a a choice that we made. Uh, Most stores ran with volunteers. When we were at the older store, we would also use some volunteers that would come in and help us with our magic events. And when we came over here, I mean, really, we wanted to make the store that Seattle deserved. Seattle is where Magic comes from. It's got probably the richest gaming community from a number of different angles of anywhere in the world. We wanted the people that worked at those places as well as the people who are fans of their work to come together at the same place. Um, we wanted it to be a place that people wanted to bring their friends to. We wanted it to be a place that was comfortable. In building that community, we decided we wanted professionals running it. We really wanted to have people who knew what they were doing and were not just doing it as a side thing because they were interested. We wanted them to We really wanted to make sure that our judges were on staff. We we do use some volunteers, but we really want to have people that are completely buy into the culture of the company completely understand why we're here that we want people to enjoy playing games we want people to have a great positive experience you know it doesn't matter what game you play we're trying to create a place for people to do that I think a lot of places are very specialized that's something that we've done is we can have people playing candyland next to people playing Twilight Imperium you know it, mm-hmm. it's definitely a a mixed group all different levels but it works. And people are very respectful of each other. People understand that, hey, everybody started with a simple game, and they try to help each other out and teach rather than criticize.
0: Yeah, I love that. I could be at uh, Mox Boarding House, and I could be having a beer in between rounds of my Friday Night Magic. And then right behind me, there's up dad and some kids, and they're all playing Candyland. And right next to them, there's a bunch of people playing Settlers. And then next to them, uh, or in the other room, there's miniatures going on. Yeah, I, I actually had a, I uh, still have it up in my drawer upstairs, a, a little spiral bound notebook that
1: says super secret game store plan on the cover and marker. And in there, page one was, I want to be able to have a space that caters to, and then I had a list of different people. And it was, you know, casual magic players. It was you know, advanced strategy board game players, Um, retired men playing backgammon, uh, bridge groups, you know, and like, I actually had drawn this all out. And then when trying to do store layout, I tried to create spaces for all of those people. I think you can see that like there is a space for people to go and it's comfortable for doing a lot of different things. Um, The private rooms were set up like, hey, if you want to do a draft, that was actually the biggest mistake I think in this space was the tables in these two private rooms are really good for a role playing game. But if you're playing Magic and trying to get eight people around this table, it's a little bit short. Yeah. And so when I went to Bellevue, the tables were about a foot, foot and a half longer because, uh-huh. oh, you can do a pot of eight sitting across from each other and you don't have to bring in a card table every time you do a draft. Uh, so it, we really tried to cater to people's
0: experience and design around that. And I say this often, Damon, uh, just during our conversation. I really wanted to talk to you because I view you as a community builder. All games, all hobbies, all groups of people all need a community to really anchor themselves into from a casual magic player a kitchen table magic player going to someone who now is feeling comfortable at local events and pre tqs and fnms and grand prix trials and things like that it only happened because i found a space where there were Great judges. Chris Ferderer uh, used to be a ju- judge, and he's now a card grader. Uh, but he had great energy, great fanfare. And yeah, would he be around sometimes for really long hours? Like, Yeah, he was exhausted because he had to do a draft, then another draft, another draft, or a midnight draft. And um, now um, uh, at Mox Boarding House, we have Frank Stanley and loud, boisterous, energetic voice welcoming, like like a circus ringleader, just really welcoming everyone to this event that we were all really, really excited for. That energy brings people back.
1: Absolutely. And those guys can turn an event that could be extremely dry into, it's, it's like a party. I mean, people are having fun and there's jokes and Uh, the right person can create this just really endearing, really welcoming environment. And Magic, you know, when you're actually playing the game and a round starts, it's not a very social activity as the group goes. You know, people are really focused and really paying attention. So I think it's really important to have that, you know, that welcoming, you know, hey, welcome in everybody, we're going to have fun, here's what we're going to do. And I think, you know, our tournament organizers have been fantastic with that. Um, they lay down some rules, they explain what's going on, they explain how we like to have our events and how we like them to go. We're very open about that and you know, some people will come in and all they care about is winning packs and how they're going to win and they're quite often a little disappointed by the way it's, it's introduced, but we really want to make sure that it's good for all levels of
0: players. I see a lot of new things coming out of Card Kingdom. You guys are now streaming Legacy on Monday nights on Twitch. Yeah, that was uh, Chris Cornejo was, you know, very
1: adamant that that's the thing he wanted to do. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of people didn't have a lot of energy to add a new thing. And it was like, hey, if you want to do that, go ahead. And he took the initiative to start that. And he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that we have people that have ideas and are willing to work on them and put in extra hours and bring their own equipment in and get those started. And then, you know, it helps us to realize, oh, that's a great idea. And then we can help
0: support that and nurture that and continue growing as a company. So every Monday night, you guys stream Legacy on uh, twitch.tv slash cardkingdom. Mm hmm there has been some pretty big names on the stream, right? We have Melissa DeTora, Chris yes. Van Meter. Mm-hmm. I also saw once um, Randy Bueller come in and play. Holy moly. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, a lot of that speaks to the Seattle gaming community. I mean, we have fantastic people here. Having Wizards of the Coast in your backyard helps with a lot of that. And, you know, actually, Chris and Melissa both work for us now. And um, they're just fantastic people and fantastic for the community and. They want the same things out of magic that we're trying to bring to people. So it's, it's really easy to work with them and really easy to involve them because, you know, we're just trying to bring this game to new people and make their experience
0: better. Yeah. And again, I go back to that theme of community building. I've heard so much feedback from Seattle area players who are high level players, very competitive, knows a lot about the game, and they are just clamoring for eternal formats. They're clamoring for vintage, clamoring for legacy. And there was some controversy not too long ago about uh, certain, tournament organizers dropping legacy as part of their tournaments. And so there's been a grassroots movement here led by the community at Card Kingdom to preserve legacy. And so you guys now have a legacy preservation series 1K.
1: I think a, a lot of stores have a hard time supporting things like legacy formats. Um, if you don't have the singles to sell, it's hard to make it a model that makes business sense. Uh, we are really fortunate that we do carry a full catalog going all the way back, you know, to the the legacy staples. So it makes it very viable and makes it an easy thing for us to support. But you know, it's it's a big part of magic. We need those various formats in order to provide different ways for people to play. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about Magic is no matter what level you're at, there's a format that works well. And, you know, Legacy is one of those formats that certain people really care about and it's the way
0: they want to play. I'm just very excited that you guys are starting to stream Legacy because I don't play Legacy. But for me to watch and learn and get commentary from such high level players is just so entertaining. It's just really fun you guys are also trying to stream some games at uh, Mox Boarding House on the east side.
1: Yeah, um, we'd actually set up the space to be able to do streaming all the time at the first table, and we had some technical difficulties. and um, But it's getting better, and we're getting it all worked out, and we should be able to do some really great streaming over there as well. Um, we are doing some now, but it took us a little longer. We were expecting to open up with that play, with Mox Boarding House having the greatest setup for streaming, and it turns out Card Kingdom started doing it first. yeah. But, <laughs> Definitely a thing around, you had talked about when you came to Seattle and there wasn't really a supportive place to play Magic. And, you know, most other cities in the country did have a strong community. Seattle really didn't. It was, there were a few stores that were okay and they would shut down and move around. And it, it was kind of a shame that you had such a wonderful area with such a strong community with, without a location to
0: call home. And this is absolutely a perk for the mages out there that are over 21. Um, To be able to grab a beer before or after definitely makes FM a little bit more goofy, in my opinion. I've definitely had some YOLO draft moments because I had a couple pints in me. Um, But, uh, but yeah, but still, I mean, you know, being the family show that we are, there are lots of kids lots of different people that come to Card Kingdom and Mox Boarding House. And it is an incredibly diverse community and also a very supportive one. I rarely, I never, ever see an older player shark over a little kid. If anything, the, the younger players are the ones stomping me <laughs> these days.
1: I've, I've seen a few of those instances. Um, good friends will come up like, ah, I just got beat by a nine-year-old. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, it doesn't all happen in the tournament room either. You know, there's a lot of people that play very casually on the restaurant side, and it doesn't mean they're not great players. Um, there's a couple friends of mine that come in every thursday night of a release and stay till midnight so they can buy their new boxes and they always have their brews going for you know how they're going to incorporate the new cards and build their new decks and we think this is going to be good in modern this is going to be good in standard and i'm usually working till at least midnight the day before a release and i'll come down and they'll hand me a deck and we'll sit down and we'll play a few matches and it's it's just great to have people that are fantastic deck builders and players who are you know, just bouncing ideas off of each other and trying out new things, and here's the the deck that I heard that this pro is playing, and here's something that I built, and here's the old deck with a couple cards that seem interesting, and let's see how they match up. You know, Magic is a puzzle, and it's just fun that everybody gets to participate in their own way. And it doesn't all happen during the tournaments, it's a
0: lot of people playing just with their friends. We talked a lot about tournaments and also sanctioned events and formats and things like that, but Damon, You guys also famously run a modern no-ban list tournament.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I believe it was Justin Treadway's idea. Uh, it, It was born out of, you know, a lot of people have talked about modern and the bannings and their likes or dislikes of it. And I think it's great to have a place that's, just testing to see, Oh well, what would happen?
0: I talked to Frank Stanley, one of the judges and tournament organizers at Mox Boarding House, and he said that the power levels really aren't that too far off. It's like legacy kind of in the middle, like right in between legacy and modern. So it's really not that bad. I mean, you think, oh, my goodness, all this stuff is unbanned. It's going to be super broken. But every deck, I think, at this point has had something banned out of it. And so they all come back. They all equally get kind of stronger.
1: Yeah, and thing about Modern is, you know, depending on what you draw and what your matchup is, the strongest decks always has a weakness and, you know, vice versa. I, I guess the other thing with Modern No Band is is it's just a fun event. It's just that chance to play those cards that you're not able to play anymore. When new bannings come about and people are like, well, I guess I got to pull that deck out and, you know, sell the cards off for 10% of what I paid for them and move on to this deck, which is going to cost a bunch of money. I think the Modern No Band gives you a chance to still play with those cards. It gives you a chance to see what would have happened. You know, the Eldrazi deck came out and totally shook everything up, and it's fun to see, well, what if Splinter Twin was still around? How would those two match up? And you can do a lot of really fun things with those.
0: I mean, it's not a sanctioned tournament, but the prizes are still, like, you get modern staples, right? Like, the prizes are still really adequate.
1: Yeah, yeah. We definitely try to do formats that are interesting that way and have the prizes feed the theme. Um, We're doing the Rags to Riches now, which is, you know, a popper-style tournament format where you actually get high-level cards for the more expensive formats. And the idea is, hey, I'm going to play this format, and I'm going to get this key card that I can start building decks in other formats.
0: Yes, I almost forgot to ask. You guys have a popper tournament called rags to riches pre-registration for it always sells out it's really it's really been a hot tournament yeah and it just
1: continues to do well uh it just speaks to that people want to play different ways if you're doing something new and exciting people want to play something new and exciting they want to play something different occasionally and popper is a pretty easy format to jump into even if you're doing it casually and you want to build a deck you know you can put something together and try it out
0: Damon, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you if you are ready. Um, yes. Okay. Damon, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of Magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Uh,
1: I typically like playing black... I think I just understand the strategy of it. It's easier for me to jump into. I'm typically a limited player. Whatever color is flowing tends to be the color I choose. You know, like I was very excited when Return to Ravnica a game back and I could play Demir. Unfortunately, it was not the best color pair in that format.
0: It's got the best removal in limited. Whenever you're playing limited, you're looking to white, black, or red. Yeah. Red's it's got some burn spells. It's versatile
1: that way. Yeah. Um, you. Yeah, you have removal, you can have aggressive black decks, you can have very control-oriented black decks. Uh, I tend to play very poorly when I play white, I, I feel like I'm speaking that I like the, the, the evil color and not the... <laughs> the good color. <laughs> the good color. But um, I, I just like the mechanics of it. Um,
0: yeah. Damon, question number two, if you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be?
1: Well, that's a tough question. Um, if I could change something. I typically am not one of those people who finds fault in magic. I tend to enjoy every format. Um, yeah, like the things I would say is like, I wish there was a, I wish releases happened a little more often so that, you know, formats would change and not get stale. But that's already happened. Um, <laughs> that would have been my answer two or three months ago. Can we skip it and come
0: back to it? Sure.
1: I know it's not rapid fire. No, that's fine. No, no, no. These,
0: the, 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 yeah, I mean, that's fine. Okay. We'll come back to that one. Damien, if you could give something to every magic player, what would it be?
1: Actually, there is a, a cube that a friend of mine built that was all common, uncommon, and multicolor. But every card either was a multicolor card or would have an activated ability that was separate for it, or generated two types of mana. I think something like that. There, I absolutely adore limited formats, and having something that's accessible to everybody, but puts everybody on a level playing field is really, really enjoyable. So I guess a cube that doesn't have cards that everybody knows already.
0: Oh, okay. So kind of like the, uh, geez, what would we call it? Not the backwater cube, <laughs> but kind of something like like the prism cube. Yeah,
1: it, it was really fun because people who were extremely experienced would play and they wouldn't know what to pick. And it really leveled the playing field and it helped make it a new experience for everybody.
0: Okay, Damon, question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering?
1: Oh, I think Magic is really evolving very quickly. I think the people playing Magic are becoming much more diverse. Um, We're seeing the communities become more welcoming. We're seeing just really great spaces that have really broken down the barriers. I I think there was a period where you had to have a lot of credibility to play Magic. And it was hard to break into a Magic community. It was hard to break into certain stores. And I think people are becoming more and more welcoming. And it's a change I really embrace that Skill levels or genders or any number of things, the stereotypes are going away. And I think it's really opening up.
0: Yeah. Magic is becoming more mainstream, more diverse, more accessible, and more open. And the community is growing and maturing to allow for more people to join it. And I think it's because also. Every player in the Magic community has a high level of buy-in. We all love the game. We all want to see the, the game flourish, and we want to help out every other Magic player. And that's creating a lot of really good vibes within the Magic community.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of people that you wouldn't typically think of as a Magic player, and sometimes it's hardest for them to actually break in. Maybe they don't have the credibility when it comes to science fiction or movies or comic books or fantasy or whatever it is, but Magic can actually bridge that gap. Um, The game is so fantastic that you don't have to be
0: into the backstory to enjoy the
1: game. And I I love the fact that those people are starting to come to
0: the game as well. And last, Damon, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Hmm. Um, I guess be patient with each other, you know, help each other out. Try
1: to welcome new people. It's not that hard to do the right thing you know, realize we were all new to the game at one point in time. And it's a wonderful experience to play this game. And I want to be able to share it with as many people as possible. And if we can all take the time with others,
0: we can help share this community. Damon, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for having me. I've I love the tour. And we're sitting in this beautiful again, the red room. And this was just such a blast.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. It was really nice talking with you. I think it's just important for us all to step back and realize that spending time with our friends and our loved ones is really important. And getting away from our lives and spending that quality time and sharing an experience is one of the most important things in life. And hopefully we can all take more time to do that.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Damon Morris. Special thanks to all the staff at Card Kingdom that made my visit so welcoming. I really appreciated Damon for taking time out of his busy day to chat with me and show me around. All of the links for Card Kingdom's stream are in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Just search for Damon Morris or Card Kingdom. I'll also be including photos of all the French-inspired and art deco goodness on our website and you can see the unhinged full art landelier as well as the D20 chandelier. Be sure to check out Card Kingdom stream at twitchtv.com slash cardkingdom. And remember, they stream Legacy on Monday nights at 6.30pm Pacific Standard Time. Also, as of the release of this recording, our favorite Pro Tour Top Aider, Melissa de has returned to Wizards of the Coast to work in R&D, developing future sets. Melissa, I will miss chatting with you during FNM. Thank you for all the deck building tips. Congratulations, and we all wish you the best. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic...
1: It's tough to be vulnerable on camera and to do that, and I think Magic players especially, you know, be especially competitive players who have been trained to withhold information and keep their poker face and kind of keep their emotions regulated and controlled, that kind of getting that on camera is a much different challenge. Uh, so it involves more trust and, uh, I don't know, a closer personal relationship to the subjects.
0: I'm talking to the co-creator of the series, Walking the Plains and the new magic documentary, Enter the Battlefield, Nathan Holt. Nathan shares with us about how he got started in acting and filmmaking, and how he and Sean Kornhauser got picked up by Wizards to produce Walking the Plains and Enter the Battlefield. Nathan also tells us about his early studies into theater and acting and also comedy. I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Nathan Holt on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Thanks so much for listening to the first few episodes on Season 1 of Kitchen Table Magic. All of the show notes for each episode is at kitchentablemagic.org. Please follow us on Twitter at KTM Podcast. To find us on Facebook, just search for Kitchen Table Magic Podcast in the search bar. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. There are fancy perks and exclusive content that you don't want to miss. Thank you so much. Well, as you probably heard in our other shows, we don't really have any sponsors, but in true magic fashion, I did sell some magic card to fund this little podcast. Today's sponsor is Karn Liberated. That's right, I sold a Karn Liberated to my buddy John. Shout out to John, you're funding this podcast right now. Karn is a very powerful planeswalker. I mean, he already starts off at 6 loyalty. When you tick up 4 loyalty, target player exiles a card from their hand. My goodness, 10 loyalty? What are you going to do to get rid of this stupid thing? And then minus 3 exile target permanent? It's like, hey, that red source that you have, I'm gonna get rid of that. Yes, I am a Jun player. Yes, I don't like Karn Liberated. I'm still salty about Tron. But the worst part about it is the ultimate ability. Minus 14. Restart the game. My gosh. We're restarting the game with all of your stuff that it exiled. Oh my goodness. And you know what? I'm just gonna be honest here. I've had this happen to me about maybe three times, and that makes me learn how to play Jund really well, so I don't ever get to that point. Still, Karn Liberated. What are you gonna do?